0: Welcome to the Venice Church Podcast. My name is Matt and I'm the lead pastor at Venice Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the word of God.
1: If you are coming to church online in your pajamas, welcome. I'm so thankful that we get to share this space together every week. And we are here in part three of our series called Salt and Light. Now, if you haven't been here with us for the last couple of weeks, or maybe this is your first time at church ever, maybe you're not still sure about this whole Jesus thing or Bible thing, Maybe you're just really new to faith in general. I wanna help you get caught up to where we're gonna spend some time today. So throughout this series of Salt and Light, we've started in the book of Matthew. Now, the book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament of the Bible. So the Bible is split into two halves, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the simplest terms, the Old Testament is everything that happened from creation to right before Jesus. And then the New Testament is everything that happened from Jesus until the very end that hasn't actually even happened yet. The New Testament is a very exciting place to be. The Old Testament has some pretty gnarly stories. I encourage you to dive into both places. But we are here in this first book of the New Testament called Matthew or the Gospel of Matthew. Now, as it sounds, it was written by a man named Matthew. Sometimes he was also called Levi. And he was a tax collector turned Jesus follower. And he was actually one of the 12 disciples. And he is writing this gospel. He, he had the wherewithal to think, hmm, some people might want to know about this Jesus. And so he wrote down the experiences that he had while he was following Jesus. He wrote this gospel specifically to the Jewish community because the Jewish community for hundreds, thousands of years had been waiting for a Messiah, someone who would come to free the people of Israel, somebody who would be their king for all time. And so the the prophets in the Old Testament had made these prophecies or predictions or told us about who this Messiah would be, where, where he would be born, what family he would come from, some of the things that he would do while he was here on this earth. And so Matthew is writing to the Jewish people to say, listen, that Messiah that you've been waiting for for so long, this Jesus, it's him. And I'm going to tell you about all the things that you know from your childhood, from going to temple, from reading the prophets. I'm going to tell you about what you know and about how it has all come to fulfillment in Jesus. And so Matthew starts out with this genealogy of Jesus. He says, Jesus came from this family. He tells about this is who Jesus' dad was and this is who his grandpa was and this is who his great grandpa was all the way back to the beginning. And guess what? One of those people in his his family tree was King David. And we knew from the Old Testament that the Messiah would come through the line and the lineage of David. And so right off the bat, Matthew is, is making his case that this Jesus is the Messiah and we need to listen and learn from him. So he takes us from that genealogy to the birth or to the the conception, to the birth and even early years of Jesus. Now, Matthew is the longest gospel. So really we kind of get the, the biggest, broadest picture of Jesus here in this gospel. And so he goes through all the early years of Jesus, and then he introduces us to a man named, that we call John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was also the man who baptized Jesus. So we see that story right in the beginning of Matthew, and it says that when Jesus was baptized by Matthew, that, or not by Matthew, when Jesus was baptized by John, that the skies opened up. And that the voice of the Lord was loud and clear and said, this is my son. He's doing a good job. I'm really pleased about it. That's paraphrase, of course. And he says, pay attention because the one you've been waiting for, this is him. And immediately after he's baptized, the Holy Spirit drives him into the desert where he fasts. And prays and is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And so that catches us up to about the third, fourth chapter of Matthew. Now, after he comes out of the desert, he begins his ministry. He starts preaching and teaching. And he's preaching a message of repentance. And he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And not only was he preaching about repentance, but he was also going around and healing the sick people and the lame. And obviously when that happens, you know, popularity grows and people wanna start bringing their people to him. And so people started following him. And as he's walking along in the Galilee area in uh, Israel, He's walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees these two brothers fishing, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And he says, hey guys, um, I know you're fishermen, but I wanna teach you how to fish for men. I wanna take the skill that you already have and use it to advance God's kingdom, so follow me. So he invites them to follow, follow him, to be his disciples. They continue to walk along the Sea of Galilee and he sees two more fishermen, James and John. And he says, hey, hey guys, you guys fish. We're also fishing for people, not for fish. I think you'd be really good at this. Why don't you come follow me? Come follow me. I'm gonna teach you something that you've not seen before. So he's got these followers now. They're, they're following him. But when Jesus says, follow me, He's literally saying, imitate me, do what I do. So when we follow Jesus, we're not just walking around like behind him; we're, we're imitating him. And that's what he's calling these disciples to do. So he's being followed around by these four guys and he's healing people and he's teaching this message of repentance and that the kingdom of God is coming and As someone, because when he says, follow me, he's putting himself in in the seat of a teacher, of a rabbi. And a rabbi, when he has disciples, he's always going to explain what he does. He's going to have some time where he says, okay, follow me, watch what I do. Now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to explain to you what I'm doing. So, There comes a time when there's just great crowds, everybody's wanting to follow Jesus, to see Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, and he knows it's time, I need to teach my disciples. So he takes his disciples up onto a mountain. Now, we have no reason to believe that other people didn't follow along because people were following him everywhere. I think just going up on the mountain maybe meant that not everybody followed because they didn't all want to go up on the mountain. Not everybody's a hiker. But we can, (laughs) yeah, I know. Uh, Not everybody followed, but I imagine that it was Jesus and his disciples and a lot of other people because people were curious. This Jesus was doing things that nobody had ever seen before. So he goes up on a mountain and he wants to clarify what he means When he says, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Because Jesus' message of repentance wasn't a message of condemnation, but it was an invitation to follow him and to turn from what they always knew, what they had always been taught, and to follow, to go a new way. That's what repent means. Repent means to, to turn. So Jesus is saying, hey, come, look, I want to explain to you what I mean about this repentance, and he gives us this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he starts out with something that we call the Beatitudes, where he tells us that people who exhibit these qualities that he he lays out, these attitudes, that they are blessed, and it's things that we don't normally consider to be a blessing. He says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like, woohoo, poor in spirit being blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. That sounds like a fun time. (laughs) Okay, and then it goes on. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And there are all of these promises fitted in with with these qualities, that, that when you exhibit these things, that you are blessed. And the people who were receiving this word had to think like, really? Because the people that I see in society who are blessed aren't those things. They're wealthy and they're powerful and they're confident and, and they make war, not peace. How can you say that? What? And what is he saying? So he's teaching them, this is is the other way that I want you to go. These are the things, these are the qualities that I want you to long for. And then he says this, starting in Matthew 5, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Then he says to these ordinary people, you are the light of the world. Now, whether you were sitting there with Jesus that day or you were reading Matthew's account, those words would have made your eyebrows raise because it was a phrase that they had heard before. Because teachers rabbis, priests who are particularly gifted and knowledgeable would have been commonly called the light of the world. That they were bringing God's light and enlightening people with who God is. And so it was something that they'd heard before but never about them. They were these ordinary people and Jesus looks at them and he says, you are the light of the world. Because when we walk in the way that Jesus walked, when we follow his example for the way that we are to live and love like him, when we follow that example, we will make this world better and brighter. When he lays out these qualities, he's saying, listen, your actions Your conversations, your deeds, the way that you do your work, the way that you raise your family, the way that you interact with the people that you meet on the Facebook and on the grocery stores, all of those places, you will make the world better and brighter if you are following me. Now, this is what we call influence. We call it influence. And he says, I'm not telling you that you have to earn it. You don't have to what you... You have it, he says, you are salt, you are light, you have it, you have influence. And we, just like the disciples then, are to leverage our influence to advance his kingdom. So, I know that Matt is always the one that brings you the alliteration and the rhyming phrases. I am the one who will always tell you the Latin root of words. You're welcome. (laughs) We each have our place. So that word influence is particularly interesting to me because the Latin root means to flow. We get the same word fluid from where influence comes from. So when you think about influence, the first thing that comes to mind is water. And have you ever pulled a stone out of a river? Yes, no, no no stone grabbers in here? (laughs) When you pull a stone out of a river, it is so smooth. And it's not smooth because somebody took it out and took sandpaper and rubbed against it. It's smooth because water consistently and continually flowed over the top of that water. There was no force enacted upon it in order to make it smooth, in order to shape it. But just over time, as that water flows, the shape of the rock is influenced by the current of the water. So our influence is the same. Our influence, when we're advancing the kingdom of God, it is not by force. Okay, we're, we're not the fire of the earth. We're not the chisels of the earth. We're not the hammers of the earth. We are salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. And you think about light, like, why does light influence us? Well, have you ever seen, have you you ever had your power go out, and then somebody lights a candle or turns on a flashlight, and everybody in the house does what? They They go to the light, right? Nobody forced them to go to the light, In the same way, God's word, David, in Psalm 119, he says that God's word is a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. God's word doesn't force us to do anything. God's word doesn't knock us upside the head. I mean, I know it feels like that sometimes, but God's word doesn't push us along the path. God's word, his truth illuminates our lives so that we can have the confidence to take a step in faith forward. And every step that we take, big steps and small steps, over time, shape our whole lives. God's word influences us without ever having to push us around. And that's how our influence is. But sometimes when we, we think about being salt and light, because salt and light to us are just, oh, we've just got them. Look at, look at the lights in here. We've got tons of lights, you know? Salt I've got like four different kinds of salt in my pantry. It's not a big deal. Did you know how, there are so many kinds of salt. Wild. But that stuff to us is so common. And unfortunately, I think that we've thought that our influence is common, that it's, it's just not, it's not a big deal. I mean, like, is it really a big deal if I'm living like Jesus means it's not really a big deal right so sometimes we doubt or dismiss the power of our influence and therefore dis- diminish or ignore our responsibility to take up the ministry of Jesus now what was that ministry we talked about that last week that Jesus said in John 19:10 he said for the son of man came to seek and save the lost he came to seek and to save And that when we understand the value of our influence, and we understand the responsibility that we have, that we will partner with Jesus in continuing that work that he started. But I think sometimes we think that once somebody is saved, we're done, right? Right? Like, oh, I've been witnessing to my neighbor, and I've been telling her about Jesus, and fine, and she's saved, and we're so excited, and it's like, whew, that's somebody else's job. Now the preacher can, can tell her about how to live. <laughs> or, or we think things like, well, I figured it out. I mean, you know, I know they just got saved, but I mean, I figured it out so they can figure it out. It's fine. And we don't think that, that we need to do anything about it, but let me remind you that salvation is not the end goal. Salvation is the starting line. Salvation is the starting line to to chasing after what Jesus wanted for all of us, to have a life that's filled with love and with peace and with his power. And if we stand at the starting line of salvation, we will never lay hold of the things that he has for us. Now, Jesus called his followers the light of the world. And when he does that, he paints two pictures of light. He says, okay, on the one hand, he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, there's a city on a hill, it's nighttime, because you can't see lights in the daytime. Got a city on a hill, it's all lit up. And all around is wilderness, is is forests, is, is darkness. And people who are walking in the darkness see light and they see that hill and they see that city and they think, oh, finally, I've been out here for so long. I've been wandering, lost and they see that hill and they they think, finally, refuge, shelter, safety, a place that I can belong. And I think that, you know, in terms of the kingdom of God, that there are people who are lost and there are people who belong to the body of Christ. But then he has another picture for us he says that not only is it like a city on a hill, but it's also like a light, a lamp in a house. And he says, you don't light a lamp and then put a bowl over it. You light a lamp and you put it on a stand, a lamp stand. And it gives light to everyone who is in the house. And Paul writes in Ephesians, he says that, that the church, that us, that, that believers are being built together like a house. And so when Jesus talks about that we're the light of the world like a city and like a lamp, we are light to people who are lost, but we are also light to people who are found. Our influence doesn't stop when people get saved. Our influence is not just to seek and save the lost, but it's also to help people grow in Christ. Our influence is part of God's plan to move his people toward maturity in him. And so every day we should speak and act and think more like Jesus than we did the day before. We learn how to control our temper and our tongues. We unlearn patterns of sin and we renew our minds as we are transformed into his likeness. We see this example of maturity in the apostle Paul, Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, he's, he starts with this whole thing about like, this is who I was. I was, I mean, I was a Jew of Jews. I came from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I knew the law. I was zealous. I did all of these things. And then he says in verse 10, my goal, even though I had all that, my goal is to know him Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind all those things that I were and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think in this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. I love that line because it sounds like he's saying like, okay, I'm telling you what you need to know, but if you don't know it yet, don't worry, God's gonna gonna bring you up to speed, it's cool. I just like Paul a lot. He says, then in verse 16, he says, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Now, this is the very definition of spiritual maturity. If you need a definition, Paul has given it to you here. It's knowing what you know, and doing what you know to do. So it's living up to the knowledge that you already have. It's living up to the truth that you know and pursuing to know even more, continuing to press ahead. And then he says this, verse 17. He says, join in imitating, not Jesus, me. And everybody's like, whoa. Paul, you think very highly of yourself. You want us to follow you. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. I know that we can think, wow, Paul, really? I thought we're supposed to be following Jesus. He says, yes, you are supposed to be following Jesus, but I also know that you will never get to see Jesus. Like, as he walked on this earth, in his human flesh, in the, the example that he set before us. But you do see me. And he's made it very clear, I'm not perfect. And he, he even lived with the people at Philippi. He visited them several times. He spent the night in their houses and he ate food with them. And if you've ever had somebody spend the night with you, you know that they're not perfect, okay? And he's, he's saying, look, you guys know me. You have seen me in the flesh, Imitate me, not because I am the goal, but because I know what the goal is, I am reaching for it, and I want you to do that too. Follow me, imitate me, because I am following Jesus. He says the same thing. One, one chapter later, Philippians 4, 9, he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I love that he says that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Because that indicates to me that he was physically in close proximity to these people. He's not just saying, hey, read this letter that I wrote and follow my advice. It's not like a preacher that we see on the YouTube, on YouTube, we're, we're like, oh man, that was such a great word. But we don't see the way that they live their life. But Paul says, look, you know my words, but you also know the way that I live. So the things that you've seen and heard in me, do those things and the God of peace will be with you. He had a life that was dedicated to advancing God's kingdom, both By seeking the lost and teaching the saved. In Hebrews chapter 10, we've heard this this verse a lot in the last year when when we, you know, had to stop having in-person gatherings for a while. And, And people would say like, you are disobeying God's word because it says that we are not to neglect meeting together so not okay. I I want us to talk about this passage for just a minute because it's really important that we understand and lean into how influence plays a part in what's going on. So in, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is writing to these people who were Jews and now they are Christians. And it's really different from what they knew. And it's really easy to go back to what they knew and not press forward and continue in the faith. And so he says in Hebrews 10, starting with verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast, hold on to it, don't let it go, the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, first, when it, when it talks about the stirring up to love and good works, that recalls to mind when Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and then glorify your father in heaven. The author of Hebrews is saying the same thing. Let people see the light in you because that is gonna stir people up to good works, to continue in the faith. And then it says, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some. It's not like people were getting the side eye because their kid played travel baseball, okay? It wasn't like, well, some people aren't coming to church anymore. It was more like there are some people who have stopped meeting together with others. And now, not just they're not coming to church, that they are no longer pursuing Christ. They have gone back to what they knew before. And it says to encourage one another, that's the purpose of meeting together is encouraging one another, stirring up this love and this good work. Just like Jesus told his disciples to follow him, Paul told his friends at Philippi to follow his example. And so we too are also to be an example to those who are around us. And we need that. We need examples in our life and we need to be examples to others to encourage one another to remain faithful. I wanna look at the book of Acts chapter two. It's one of my favorite passages. Starting in verse Acts two, verse 42 it says, they, the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Did you catch how often they met together? How often? Every day. Once a week here in this building, is not enough to grow your faith. They met every day in the temple and not just in the temple, but from house to house. They invited each other into their homes. Shocking. They saw each other's dirty dishes. They saw each other's unswept floors. When we live together every day, we will see each other for who we really are. And yes, there is gonna be a gap. There's gonna be a gap between what we say we believe and what we are reaching for and where we are now. And sometimes it's out of pride that we keep people shut off because we think I don't want them to see that I don't have it all together. It's easy to have it all together for an hour on Sunday. And you comb your kid's hair and you fuss at them to get in the car and you come here, and your car has 18 French fry containers in the bottom of it. I know, I'm, I'm one. Okay? And you come in here, and you smile. And you say, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. But nobody knows about how you're struggling in your marriage. Nobody knows that you just got fired from your job. Nobody knows that you have a kid that you just can't. You just can't. Nobody knows that you're depressed. Nobody knows that you are still mourning the loss of somebody who's been gone for a long time. Nobody knows that in this space of an hour. The only way we know things like that, the only way that we know each other's lives is to be together every day. Now, I know that not everybody in this room can be together every single day. Who sees you? every single day. Who, who are you influencing? Not out of force, but over the course of time, you speak into their lives. And you say, look, I'm not perfect. Full disclaimer, I'm not. But the way that I'm going is the way that I think that you need to go. And so I'm gonna let you get close enough to me to see my mess. And I'm going to be close enough to you to see your mess. And let's let's go this way together. Let's grow in our faith together. Sometimes we don't want to deal with other people's mess. We just ain't got time. We ain't got time for our own mess, much less somebody else's. But maybe if we're living together every day and loving each other the way that we should, that our, our mess is either go away or they just don't matter as much anymore. Living in close relationships with other people was like a sticking point for Jesus. He picked 12 people to live life with, 12 people who would see him go through some of the hardest things that he ever went through. His cousin, John the Baptist that we talked about, he was beheaded because of what he had preached about Jesus. How do you think Jesus felt in that? His disciples saw that. His disciples saw these miracles. His disciples saw him crying out to God in the garden. His disciples saw him die. He was close to these people. And right before, he, right before he's arrested, Jesus, they're in an the upper room. They have the last supper, the Lord's supper that we, you know, we know about. And he says, okay, I know my time. I don't have a lot of time with you. And here's what I need you to know. I, I didn't come to this earth to abolish everything that the law and prophets was. I'm here to fulfill it. And I'm here to add one more thing. He says, I, you've heard me teach two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. But I've got a new command, a new one. Now this was real new. He says, here's, here's the new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Not love your neighbor, not, not, not love each other as you love yourself because that's not gonna be enough. You don't love yourself well enough for that to be the standard of the way that you love one another. Love one another the way that I love you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, our influence is never more potent. It's never more sure. It is never more effective than when we love one another. And I mean, love one another here in this very room, here in the family of God, that we love one another. Spiritual maturity is not just about what you know, but it's about how well you love people the way that Jesus loves us. Who is close enough to you to see the way that you are following Jesus? Who are you having those conversations with? Who are you letting close enough to see your mess? And when you see someone else's, how are you using your influence to help them to follow after Jesus? You bow your heads and close your eyes. As we sit here in this space today, I mean, literally just a couple minutes between where you are right now and where the parking lot is. Who is in your life? Who is in your life that's close enough to see you? What conversations do you need to start having to help influence the way that they are walking toward Jesus? It makes us really uncomfortable to think about being that lamp up on a lampstand because people can see it. But remember that when the lamp is on the lampstand, it gives, gives light to the whole house. And when the whole house is lit up, it lights up the city. And when our cities are lit up with the love of Jesus, the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does someone put a, get a lamp and put it under a bowl, but they put it on a lamp stand so that it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light shine so that other people will see your good deeds, so that other people who also say that they know Jesus, so that they will see your good deeds, and so that they themselves through their own actions, because they've been inspired and influenced by you, that they will also glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus, you are the light of the world. And oh my goodness, how humbling it is that you looked at us common, ordinary people and called us the same. God, help us to carry your light into the world, to light up our homes, to light up our cities so that all people can come to know you. I pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Venice Church podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at VeniceChurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.VeniceChurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.